Hey, welcome to How to Write a Novel, continuing my series where I walk along the ridge of a mountain in Fukuoka, Japan, and I talk about how music has inspired things that I'm writing. Man, I, uh, I'd say in general, climbing up this mountain every fucking <laughs> two or three days, I think the highest peak I got to was just under 600 meters, but I assume that's from sea level. I didn't actually climb up 600 meters. But man, it's like I'm... I At first it was really hard, and then uh, I think I just started getting in slightly better shape. My cardiovascular system was uh, compensating for this fucking... It's like, alright, if we're gonna do this every day, I guess we gotta up our game a little. And maybe that expectation, maybe I expect to be in better shape now, but I am dying today. I just got to constantly stop. But I think that is the trick. It's just like, there's no hurry, obviously. You know, the idea is to be here, not to get somewhere. And I see occasional groups of kids, like teenagers and students, I guess, going on little hikes together. But mostly I see older guys with their dogs, guys that seem to be in their 50s or 60s. And they usually have like ski poles, because there is or something similar, some kind of mountaineering poles. A pair of them, because there is some pretty steep parts to this mountain. And that's cool, that makes me uh, happy to know. Like that's what I gotta do when I get old, is I gotta move somewhere near a mountain. So I can just go mountaineering every day, because like fuck it, what better way to keep yourself, uh, keep yourself fit, keep yourself in the game. And then if you die on a mountain, <laughs> I'm sure if I was trapped dying in a mountain valley, I wouldn't feel this way, but it seems like a good way to go. It'd be more fun to die in nature. <laughs> what a dumb thing to say. <laughs> it would be so horrifying. But it seems nicer. It's like, yeah, well, hey, I fell down and I died in the fucking woods instead of just in a weird hospital or something. Anyway, I think the trick I'm sure this is the trick that these old fellas use, and uh, it's also what I've been doing is just stop often, you know? Even just the first set of stairs to get to the beginning of this mountain, it's just brutal. There's such long stairs. I literally stop halfway up the stairs, and then, uh, I don't know, because I'm just from a fucking, a neurotic world, a neurotic generation, a neurotic people. It's hard to even stop. It's hard to rest. So I just pick a 10 count. It's like I was saying a few episodes ago about trying to de-stress myself. Same thing. Just breathe in and out as deeply in and as deeply out as I can for a 10 count. Because if I don't set the number, I won't do it. <laughs> but once you get to like four or five, then you relax into it. And you're like, ah, this feels better. And yeah, I just do that as often as I need to, which it turns out is extremely often. But I guess this all just goes back to like fucking junior high school level fucking physics and stuff. Energy over time. If you spend more time, it takes less energy. And it's not so bad. But alright, today what we got is, uh, so last winter when I was in Toronto, there was a little string of episodes of this podcast where like every, where every time I played a song at the end of the episode, it was always a Bring Me the Horizon song. Because I heard their song, uh, Wonderful Life, on an NXT wrestling pay-per-view. And I looked them up and I super loved their 2013 album. I think it's 2013, right? Sep Eternal. I fucking loved it. It reminded me so much of uh, 
just that feeling of like being a teenager and hearing a song that you like and then you I'd go to the mall and lay down 20 bucks to buy a CD and you hope it's good but a lot of times it's not a lot of times there's only one or two good songs and you're just stuck with this shitty album and when music was uh, a lot less available than it is now and it just seemed like everything seemed more important when there was more scarcity like if you went back to the generation before me I'm sure it was like the radio you know it's like oh, I hope I hear that song on the radio but yeah, Sep Eternal was so great because it's totally just my type of thing, just my style of thing. I ended up getting to like the earlier and later Bring Me the Horizon stuff to different degrees, but that Sep Eternal album to me is like where they just hit the bullseye and where it's just like, I just like the whole album. I don't super love every song, but overall I could just put it on and listen to it and just be like, yeah, this fucking rules. I love this. So I was listening to that album like crazy. And little vague images would kind of come to mind as I listened to it. Little like, oh, what if this was the soundtrack to a movie or to some story or whatever. And usually I just apply songs to, a, to something I'm already working on. But just as a, like an experiment, I was like, let's try to just base a story on this album. Which is something I kind of tried to do way back, way back in the 90s when the very first Our Lady Peace album came out. It's called Navid. And uh, they got, I think, reasonably successful in the States, but I think not so much till their second album. Where in Canada they hit right away. I think their first single was The Birdman, which was an awesome song, but that one didn't totally hit. And then Starseed was the second one, and from then on, like, they were just famous as shit in Canada. And I remember trying to write a story based on that album. I've still got all those notes, like, I typed them on a typewriter, because, uh, I don't know, it was more pretentious in the 90s. And I've still got it all in a box in my mom's house, but I don't think it ever really came together. It didn't really go anywhere. But that's the only other time I remember really trying to do something like this. And obviously when I was a teenager, I was just a lot less good at uh, writing and at uh, keeping a coherent narrative in my brain. And, you know, I could come up with ideas, but they were extremely random and scattershot. Where now that I'm in my late 30s, like I think I said in one of these podcasts, that I heard somewhere that the average age of a first-time author is like 36 years old. Because it's just hard. It's hard to write a whole novel, even a bad one. Like you kind of, it's unlikely that you're going to pull that off when you're a younger person. So I'm bang average, if not behind average. I'm only getting my shit together now that I'm old. So I thought, let's try that again. Like, I didn't sit down and force it or, like, really, like, let's try to do this. Let's try to make this happen. I was just listening to that album all the time anyway. So just whenever I would, I'm like, okay, what, what, where could this song fit? What could this mean? How could this relate? And it's mostly just little moments and feelings and, like, things that aren't specific. The two anchor points that really fit and just really worked were the first song on the album and the last song on the album. The regular last song, not the uh, UK bonus tracks or whatever. Basically, Can You Feel My Heart this is the f as the opening of the story and is the first song and Hospital for Souls as the end of the story, which is the last song. 
and I have some different ideas, different songs in the middle, whatever stuff, but those are the two big anchors. So I think I'll, I'll describe those. This episode, the first song, and then next episode, the other song. Man, I always like start recording because I'm pretty sure I'm nearing a more flat part of this mountain, but it just keeps going up. It just goes up and up, man. <laughs> Fuck. So, what I got, what I slowly pieced together over months and months, is the story would be called Sepaternal, because why not? I don't even remember what that means now. It's something to do with time. I don't know. It's a real word. It means something. But who knows? Whatever. Who gives a shit? It just sounds cool. And that's totally optional. You know, I could change that title anytime. But it works for now. So uh, the first image that I got was I was just, I would kind of imagine like, I like Conan type, barbarian type shit. But I kind of like it to be a little bit, what's the word I'm looking for? A little artificial? Kind of like how Young Guns is like an MTV version of the Old West. Like that. Like I kind of want a, a, a sort of medieval barbarian action story, but set to kickstart my heart, you know? Like I think that would be so cool. Or like that Heath Ledger movie, A Knight's Tale, where they used modern songs in an old-timey context. I like that idea. Like a little bit cheesy, a little bit corny, but also fucking cool, just cool. Cool rockin' music, crazy-ass action. I guess kind of like the heavy metal cartoon from the 80s, from 1981. Like the medieval parts of that, that vibe, that feeling. I love that shit. So I imagined like a cool-looking handsome ass fucking dude in his like late 20s early 30s trudging through a snowstorm wearing like a fucking big animal fur cloak and he's got this you know stern ass look on his face it's just like he's on a mission he's marching somewhere big snowstorm all around him that was it that was kind of the image and i just built from there so like okay so who's that guy what's he up to what's going on Let's just slowly see what ideas come to mind as I listen to these songs. And it's still, there's a lot of empty spots in this story. A lot of stuff I haven't figured out yet. Fuck me, I gotta take a break. This just won't stop going up. It's just up, up and up and up. Oh. Quick break. All right, I'm back. I was going up the hill, now I'm going down the hill. <laughs> I could keep going up the hill, but uh, clearly ain't got it in me today. So yeah, I'll do the same thing I've been doing in this little series, is I'll just kind of describe stuff first, lay it all out. Then I'll play the song and I'll uh, describe the same thing, but related to the song. What's the point of any of this? Fuck you, that's the point. So the idea that I slowly piece together is this dude, he's like a cool magical dude. Like the reason why he's uh, walking through this snowstorm and he's, uh, you know, he's grim. But he's grim because he's like an Image Comics character. He's grim because he has to do grim things. Not so much because of the weather. 
So I thought that'd be cool. I'll make a magical because that's the, the one magic spell that I always wished, even as a kid, the two things I wished I could do. If you could give me magic, it wouldn't be turn invisible or fly, all that shit. It would be A, to be able to just will myself to sleep. Even when I was in elementary school, it was very obvious how much uh, sleep problems I have. And I just knew my life would be better if I could just go to sleep. And I've mostly solved that by eschewing all of modern society, you know? Once you don't have to get up in the morning, it helps a lot of these insomniac problems go away. But when I was living under the harsh thumb of society, I mean, I was exhausted in school all the time, which certainly helps explain why I hated it so much. But the other one, because I grew up in Eastern Canada, which, shocking, for like six or seven years, I didn't go back in the winter. So then when I did these past couple of winters, and it kind of seems like I'm lining up to go back there around Christmas again. It just happens to be how my dumb little travel schedules seem to work. So fucking cold. Shockingly cold. Like colder than I even remembered. I was like, am I, was I just exaggerating? But I was not. Like so cold you can't be outside. So as a little kid, obviously, having to trudge through that shit, I wished I had the magical ability to not get cold. Like if I could just uh, maintain a normal body temperature while I was out in the snow, that would be the greatest. Being able to sleep and not getting cold. You know, very practical concerns are the magic that I wanted. So I'll give this guy that. Give him the magic to not get cold. Then I was thinking like, all right, so where does the magic come from? Does everybody have this magic? No, only his family does. He's like an aristocrat. He's part of the aristocracy. He's like a prince or whatever. I don't know what the actual uh, labels would be, but his dad runs the whole fucking area. And his family all have this ability, this magical ability that uh, who knows what the parameters are and what they can do specifically, you know, I'll figure it out as I go. But my idea was that they gather power from people. They draw life force from people and then if that life force gets used up in the course of a battle or a magical fight or whatever, basically they will never die as long as they have some magic, but the people they took that life force from will die, you know? So they have to be careful. As long as they don't use up somebody's full life force, you know, as long as they regulate what they're doing, it's no problem. But if they have to expend huge amounts of uh, people's magical life power, energy, whatever the fuck, then, you know, the citizenship will start dropping like flies. But it's kind of like, you know, it's like being elected, but literally, you know, like the dad has this life force tether to like everybody in his kingdom. The kids have smaller amounts. So the dad rules the roost, you know, he's the one with the power. But if a kid could draw more power than him, like say our protagonist, like say, sunny boy here, then he could be the leader, he could be the king, but he ain't the king now, and in fact, he's extremely low on life force as we open the story. <sighs> now I'm starting to feel it, you know, now that I'm not just going uphill, now it's fun to be in the woods, it's like, whew, uphill's good for exercise and uh, building the muscles of a young, strong boy, whatever, <laughs> but uh, 
whew, it really is like it's weird because yeah that's where it's like it's fun to be in the woods just like i was saying last time it's fun to be in the woods but it's a lot of work when you're walking straight uphill when you're just walking level or downhill it's uh it's more immediately it's easier to soak it in and just like yeah the woods man so okay yeah so there's still a lot of placeholder sort of stuff in this story so the idea is the dad is uh he's a fucking dick because you know it's like uh like that line in Firefly of like uh, anyone who's ever had a statue made of them is one kind of an asshole or another. So I don't know the specifics. I just know he's a he's a dick because he runs the whole place. He's the leader, and like, why does he have these magic things? Was he born with them? Did he gain them? I don't know. I'll figure that all out at some point. But he ain't nice to these kids. And uh, speaking of Firefly, I decided. Just because I, I needed a placeholder, there's going to be a bunch of kids, and basically two of them are excommunicated. Our, our hero and his sister. And they're going to be, the brother and sister, extremely close. How close? Who knows? Maybe that's part of why they got excommunicated. Maybe a little too close. But I don't think I want to be too forward with that. I think it'll just be a, uh, you know, more of a, a vague sort of... Uh, like Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi, you know? Real close, but how close? You know, we don't need to necessarily dot all those T's, cross all those T's, dot all those I's. Man, I'm fucking out of it. But uh, I don't know how many kids there's going to be and what their specific roles in the story are yet. So just as a placeholder, just as something, just because I need some structure. Speaking of Firefly, I really do, I fall into so many just basic nerd patterns. I missed out on Star Wars because I didn't see Star Wars till I was an adult and uh, it's not that good. <laughs> so I'm not a stereotypical Star Wars guy. But beyond that, pretty much every dumb nerd thing I more or less seem to fall into. Like, uh, you know, the way edgy douchebags who uh, can't fit into society love Fight Club. I fucking love Fight Club. I love it. And, uh, you know, the way Firefly is this sacred cow of like, wow, that show ran for half a season, got canceled, but it's the best and people can't shut the fuck up about it. I'm one of those people. I kind of feel like TV died in, when was that, 2003? I just never loved a show that same way ever after that. And it's this weird catch-22. It's like, I liked Buffy and Angel as well, but they have big ups and downs. Firefly never had a chance to have its down. Like, maybe it's good that it got cancelled. Maybe that's why it's so good. Is because I think Joss Whedon described it once as the present that you never got to open. There's all these secrets and all this stuff that never got to be described. And in the ensuing years, like, they've put out comic books and stuff. And, uh, like, the one about Shepard Book was really cool. That explained his whole backstory, but other than that, a lot of the other revelations, not so great. Like, at this point in the comics, there's a bunch of super-powered chicks that are all like River, except they're psycho. And uh, Mal's helping to start a new fucking resistance. And is battling against the evil, super-powered teen girls. And it's like, man, it really is this way with Joss Whedon, isn't it? Over and over. Fucking superpowered teen girls is all this guy does. And it's hard to say how much of this would have actually happened in the show, how much of it is 
you know, informed by the fact that they made this movie, which obviously the movie really fast-forwarded the mainline plot much quicker than it normally would have happened. And it's been all these years, and it's just this weird comic that Joss doesn't even write himself. So who knows? But there's definitely stuff in this comic that you're like, yeah, you know, this is definitely... this. It seems like this is how things were gonna go. And who knows? Maybe it wouldn't have been that great. But the little bit of Firefly that we got, so great. So great. It's just unbelievable. Every time I go back to it, it's still great. The, uh, there's like one episode that I really think is kind of notably kind of not that good. The second episode where they introduce the Reavers and they're on the derelict ship. And then there's, you know, a handful of average ones, but then a handful of incredible ones. Like, such good shit. So anyway, just because I'm so obsessed with Firefly, and throughout the years I've started different stories that are like... I started this one story that's kind of set in the Firefly universe without saying that it is. And it never really went anywhere because it's essentially just fan fiction. But ideas from that have kind of worked into other things. Uh, and then I had this weird idea that I could take all the characters from Firefly but put them in a contemporary setting. Like what if they were a literal family instead of just uh, a patchwork family that, you know, lives together on a spaceship. What if they were part of an actual family? They were all brothers and sisters and they're at like a wake. Like their parents died and they're at this, at this wake. And that idea never went anywhere either, but I've always had that idea in my head of like repurposing Firefly. So I'm like, well, let's go back to that old chestnut. Why not? For the time being, since I need there to be just a bunch of kids in this story, because the idea is going to be that the brother and sister who have been excommunicated are going to fight all their brothers and sisters till they get up to the dad at the end and fight the dad. <laughs> kind of like I was saying last episode, I like movies like The Warriors. I like movies that, uh, if you're going to be about action, be about action. Make sure that's it. That everything is... If it's going to be fighting, make everything be fighting. So as a placeholder, I'm just taking the Firefly characters and using them. There's the same number of brothers and sisters, they're the same ratio of male to female as Firefly. Bing, bang, boom, good enough. I could change that later, but it's just something for now. For now, it'll do. So our two protagonists, the brother and sister, are marching through the snow. It's going to mainly be focused on the brother, but the sister, I mean, just at that point, because he's the main guy I was thinking of. So most of my thoughts and stuff are based on this brother, but maybe I'll flesh out the uh, sister more as things go along. So they're marching along and they're very low on energy. They're using up what little energy they have to uh, keep themselves from freezing to death in the cold. And, you know, maybe there'll be some cool way to symbolize this, of just like cool, you know, blue or green energy kind of wicking off of them. And I can use the standard kind of colors, you know, to denote good guys versus bad guys, a la Star Wars or uh, Final Fantasy The Spirits Within or uh, Tony Hawk 2. <laughs> Take your pick, you know, color versus color. But this stuff is wicking off of them. The magic is wicking off of them, like evaporating. And they need energy. Elf needs food badly. So they crest a ridge and they see a little cabin. All by itself. Lights are on. It's nighttime, by the way. And they basically go down, use their magical superpowers to bust through this fucking, just bust the door down, break in. The family's terrified. It's just a, a husband, a wife, and a kid. 
And the brother and sister pounce on these people like they're like vampires. You know, they're going to look real cool anyway, be all gothy and cool, but they really look kind of evil and demonic when they're attacking someone or feeding on them, you know, or just like, it's like they're basically, it's more of a magical attack than a physical attack. And I was thinking if it was a movie, like this is where we just, we just focus on faces. We focus on the terror of this guy who owns this house and then reverse the shot to the black eyes and the fucking sharp teeth and there's the evil vampiric presence of this brother and sister duo who don't literally have sharp teeth and aren't like that normally. Just these flashes, like they just look like that when they're attacking someone. So they suck the energy out of this family, but they don't take all their energy, you know, they don't kill them. The family's just passed out. And this is where we'll kind of subtly start to explain how the magic system works, where it's like, this family's unconscious, but they're not dead. The sister's gonna put them all in their beds and tuck them in, where the brother is kind of like, whatever, we don't need to do that. We could just leave them laying on the floor. <laughs> but the sister's nicer than the brother. So she tucks them into their beds. And now it'll be basically as long as they're careful and they don't use up this energy that they took from these people, the people will be fine. The people will eventually wake up and they'll regain their strength. Or the brother and sister could send the energy back to them and it would just be like, you know, you'd see the light go out of their bodies and fly back to where it came from originally, like Ghostbusters trails. But if the brother and sister run into trouble at this point, you know, if they have to expend this energy, if they get in a big fight and they lose or whatever, like those people back in their house, back in their beds, they'll just pass away, they'll just expire. The people of this world, they're kind of just, you know, they're the pawns of the aristocracy. There's nothing they can do about it, it's just how it is. It's just how the system works. All the lords and ladies of the land are like weird liches and everyone else is just a normal person. So they've got a little more energy, the brother and sister, and they continue traveling on. And then they cross another ridge, another little hill. You know, this is an indeterminate amount of time. They've been marching for a while, but it's the very next story beat, the next beat of the song, because this is all tying into a song. And they look down and they see like a carriage that, uh, again, there's so many details I haven't figured out, but I guess because it's snow, maybe it'll be like a sled carriage. Maybe it'll be pulled by some cool, weird, direwolf type beasts. That's where I think it would be so fun to make a movie, where I've got the, the big picture figured out, but these specific details, it's just not how my mind works, like I was saying last time about describing stuff. Like, I don't care. I don't care what these beasts are. I just want them to be something cool, and like, let somebody else who, that's what they specialize in, that's what they're interested in, just let them come up with something and use that. You know, it'd be great. But this particular carriage is very important because this is one of their siblings. This is their youngest brother. So we're gonna have the fight with the first of the siblings happen right away. We're still like in opening credits here. But we're gonna set up that this is what this story is. It's the two, the brother and the sister, against all their other siblings, and then eventually against their dad. So their little brother's down there with, uh, he's got a little cadre of guards. So brother and sister jump down. Again, it's like another scary vampire attack. The guards are scared as shit. They didn't expect this to happen. They're pretty quickly taken out by the brother and sister. 
So all that's left is little brother all by himself and the two siblings attack him together. And again, this is way more like magical attacks, psychic attacks. So they pounce on him, a similar thing. He's scared as shit. He's like, ah, oh, fuck, I'm not ready for this. His scared face. And then the close-ups of the brother and sister and they're just like ravenous. Like, yeah, you're going down, little fuck face. And that's when we introduce a new aspect to how these weird magical beings work. This is something I'm still really trying to work out, but this is what's so neat about setting something to music. I only had this idea because this is the point in the song where the song chills out and there's a quiet part. And I'm like, okay, can't just be action, can't just be fighting. We're in a different vibe now, we're in a different feeling. So what's gonna happen here? So my idea is they go into this like sepia-toned memory world and we flash to different moments in their lives like yeah we're just looking at memories like an old photograph or something and this is something that I really don't have figured out yet all of this stuff like I've got to figure out what the history is between the brother and sister and all their siblings how things went wrong basically between each each sibling and the brother and sister how they were wronged you know or how they perceived that they were wrong. So all I've really got for this little brother is basically just that he's like a little bastard. He's a little shit. He, he's a tattletale. He tells on everybody. So our brother and sister duo did something, did something they weren't supposed to do. Maybe something sexy with each other, but maybe that's too boring. Maybe something bigger than that. Maybe something to really step on the toes of the dad, something to really fuck with the status quo, something that, that they shouldn't be doing, you know, that makes them dangerous. And little brother gives them up right away. Little brother tells on them every time. They get in so much shit because of this little fuck. Maybe their ultimate excommunication even happens directly because of this kid spying on them and being a little tattletale fuck. So my idea is that we see all these flashes of them growing up together and all these different scenes and moments of things that happened between them. And there's gonna be this one shot that is the dad with all the kids that we come back to over and over because it's going to be like a uh, back to the future photo kind of situation where as they take out the kids one at a time that scene has less and less kids in it because my idea is that when they have these memory battles it's like they really are kind of going into each other's memories sort of into each other's pasts but not literally maybe like the movie Looper where you know you fuck with somebody from one timeline and it's like the uh the atoms are connected, you know, and it like immediately changes things in the future person's timeline. Like if they go back and fight in these memories, if they change something in the memory, it has immediate effects in the present. So there's all these details I haven't figured out yet, but basically they have a big memory battle with the youngest brother, but it's two on one and he is the littlest and he loses and they basically find a way to kill him in the memory world and he really dies in the present and all of the other siblings and the dad are going to know that this happened because they'll all see it in their own memories they're like they know this guy used to exist they know they had a little brother and now he's gone <laughs> you know and I don't know if every fight's gonna happen this way, but the two fights I've got figured out, or you know, that I'm setting to music in my little fucking ideas, this first one and the last one with the dad will both be this way, both be memory battles. 
But again, it's all very vague. I don't have a lot of specifics figured out for that yet. But they're gonna fight little brother in memory world. They're gonna take him out, basically eradicate him, just erase him from memory after memory in the past until there's not enough left for him to exist anymore and he dies. So we cut back to the present. Extreme, super extreme close up on the little brother's face and he looks fucking terrible now. He looks fucked. He looks a million years old, you know? He's just like completely fucking desiccated and ruined. As the camera drifts slowly away from his face, then reverse the angle to the the brother who is more evil and demonomania looking than ever. Camera slowly drifting in toward his face because he's taken all of his little brother's power now. He is at full maximum beast mode. He just looks awesome. And we're never going to go back, I don't think, to that initial family in the little cottage. But the implication would be that uh, they don't need that family's power anymore, so they, they release that power back to that family. That family's fine. Because they have all the power from their little brother now. Their dick little brother. They did it. They killed him. Fuck him. Little brother and his guards all dead in the snow. Brother and sister charged up, ready to go find the next fucking sibling. And that's the opening. That's the opening of the story. So, now that I've laid that out, let's uh, try to do what I've been doing lately, where I'll play the song and I'll re-describe those events, but timed out to fit with the song itself, which of course is Can You Feel My Heart by Bring Me The Horizon. Let me cue this bad boy up. Three, two, one, start. Keith Courage Pictures presents a something something blah 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 thing, whatever, fucking Brother walking through the snow, all intense. Brother and sister both looking all cool. Big snowy thing. Title card. Sepaternal. Bah, bah, bah. Some more credits and shit while brother and sister walk. Walk through the fucking snow. Walk through the darkness. They're all cool. They look all rad. Now they come upon a little crest and they look over it and they see this little, little fucking place. A little place where uh, the family lives. A little cabin little cottage and they uh, head down there they kick the fucking door down and they scare the shit out of that family and they vampire suck all the magic out of their fucking bodies I'm going down a really steep rock while I try to talk about this this is so fucking stupid so they're sucking all the power out of these people and gathering power from themselves and it looks awesome now sister is putting the family to bed tucking them in brother is a little anxious to get going because he doesn't care about that shit they continue on their travels and they seem a lot more uh, vibrant now. They come across another little ridge. They look over it and there's the, the carriage. There's the carriage with little brother and his guards. And they uh, watch for a little while, you know, confer with one another like, you ready? All right, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's go fight this piece of shit. Bow! They jump down. They take out the guards. Little brother's like, oh, fuck, I didn't expect this. I'm freaking out. He tries to escape, but they block him off on the two sides. They sort of corner him in with some fucking magical lasso shit. I don't know. Brother cannot escape. His siblings are closing in, closer and closer. Sucking him in. Trying to break through whatever defenses he's got. Trying to break through into psychic combat. 
and he, it's, it's too much for him. He can't stop them. Boom! Now we're in sepia tone world. Now we're in memory world. And like I said, I don't have a ton of stuff for this yet, but we go through all their, their past, their history. We try to establish wordlessly that they're a big family, that uh, our brother and sister heroes uh, do not get along with everyone else. This is a pretty evil ass family. These people are fucking dicks. And little brother especially, we focus on him in particular for this little array of memories. It's just a real little asshole, just a real little prick. Just fucking with brother and sister like crazy. Leading them to get into all this trouble and excommunication and problems. He's a fucking asshole. But they start doing battles and changing things in the past. Changing memories, changing the reality of what happened. Brother's trying to escape. He's desperate. He doesn't know what the fuck to do. He can't get out of here. They're fucking erasing his memories. They're erasing his past. They're erasing him. Ah, he just can't win. He can't win. Boom! Now we see his face all fucked up. Little brother lost. He's just the walking dead at this point. He's just a second from fucking just collapsing as an empty husk. And we show brother and sister. Brother especially. Just big close up on his face. He's evil. He's an evil fuck. Because even though these are the good guys, they're from this family. This is a fuck. This is a mean ass fuck. These are some bad people. Bad people fighting other bad people. And uh, that's it. <laughs> then. Directed by, directed by Keith McNally, <laughs> and that's the opening, that's the opening of the story. Jesus, I can't believe I fucking managed to scramble down some really steep rocks while I fucking described that. Lucky I didn't fall down and bash my head open. So there we go, there's another episode in this bizarre series of uh, musical fucking explanations for stories that I'm working on. Might as well just bail out. Nothing else to say. <laughs> There's that. <laughs> Tune in next episode to hear how this whole story ends. Alright, thanks for listening. Let's listen to Can You Feel My Heart Again without me rambling. Just let it wash over you, man. Just think about writing. Think about stories. Okay, bye.